Hey everyone, I'm Patrick Jones. Welcome to episode 44 of That Gives Me Anxiety. I'm going to keep this intro a little bit shorter than I normally do uh, because the episode's a little bit longer and I want to get right to it. In today's episode, our anxiety is caused by adoption, adopting, and we're looking at adoption from a, a few different ways or vantage points. I have on my friend Luke Ward, who I know from the New York City improv world. His family adopted his daughter through an agency. And I also have on CEO of the Dave Thomas Foundation, Rita Sorenen. The, the Dave Thomas Foundation is a charity that works with helping kids to get adopted from foster care. So yeah, two different ways of looking at it, but I'm sure for people who are, have adopted or thinking about adopting or, are, or were adopted as a child can speak to the anxiety related to the, the process and how daunting it can feel and and yeah, so I thought it was important to show a few different sides of adoption in this episode. So yeah, before we start talking to Luke and Rita, I just want to remind you that if you're liking the show, to please remember to rate and review it. You can check the show out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, or YouTube. And if you're liking the show and you want to support it and support me, you can make a donation through the Buy Me A Coffee link. It's in the description wherever you're listening, um, and that's always very much appreciated. Well, let's jump right into it. Thank you so much to Luke. Thank you so much to Rita, and thank you to you for listening. Joining me now on the podcast, I have comedian Luke Ward. Leak, leak, geez. Luke, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> hey, you're very welcome. You're welcome. It's not the first time someone stumbled over my name. So I yeah. get it. It's this too. I get I get so anxious about the <laughs> intro and nailing it for no reason yep. i like there's yep. no reason for me to be worried like i could just edit it but no, i'm just gonna keep i get it you know yeah. we're both improvisers so i i know how much pressure it is to like be good at thinking on the spot yeah i know it sounds sarcastic but it, it's legit like you know you're, you you think that like okay i've got to be really funny right away every moment of every second of every day because <laughs> i'm an improviser okay go good first and thought like, best thought yeah yeah uh-huh. <laughs> no not that funny yeah. Anyway. Well, we know each other from the pit improv community. Um, yep. and, and mainly I wanted to give a shout out to the show that you had put on that you cast me in the Muppet show. I forget the name yep. of the series, but I remember it being a Muppet. It was, we love TV. That's what uh, it was. yeah. And it was basically like fanfic theater or spec script theater. We'd call it. Yeah. So I, I would just, well, the Muppet show was a unique one. Cause it was me and Caitlin Fontana and Sean Reedy. Uh, all got together and wrote different sketches for the Muppets. And we tied it all into like one big Muppet show. Mm-hmm. So each of us had a different sketch we wrote, but we also wrote the different tie-ins to each thing. And and so, um, yeah, that was an interesting one. Was, it was. was one. It, I mean, <laughs> just so fun. I mean, as a performer, I mean, when do you get to play a Muppet, right? It's just, yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It, uh, it made me realize that like Fozzie Bear is like who I was meant to be. Yes. <laughs> that was, I was destined to be Fozzie Bear. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we are going, we are on here today to talk about adoption, mm-hmm. which you have adopted your daughter. I, I apologize. Yes. I, I don't know her name. Uh, Ramona. Ramona. Oh, her I name's Ramona. Like, like the, like the, see, okay. I'm going to, this is going to be tangential, but it's, it, it's <laughs> whatever. No, it, it was, I want to say it's based on the book series, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of is. <laughs> but by the way, I, I should preface all of this that we talk about. I, I it, it gets into like adoption is very hard it, mm-hmm. and it is traumatic in every sense of the word, but it, but it has a good ending. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for the, and everybody I know who's ever adopted has never, has adopted because something happened where they, they couldn't have children the old fashioned way. So they, they went that route. And because of that, it's usually something negative. Like my wife had breast cancer. She's, she's doing, she's in remission now and then everything's fine. But that put a damper on, which we didn't, we didn't know at the time, but like, well, we knew it. Well, okay. Uh, when she was when they, when she was diagnosed and they they gave her the the whole treatment spiel, they said, "Oh, by the way, this could really do some some damage to your your baby making facilities." That is the worst way to phrase that. Uh, but anyway, so but well, we understand what you mean. Yeah, yeah. No, anyway, so uh, uh, up so uh, for about six months prior to that the diagnosis, we we had been struggling to have a child. It, it had been. She had gone through a series of tests. I went through a series. Well, I went through the one test uh, where they just make sure your, your boys can swim. And uh, we, it took like six months to figure out, okay, this is, this is what the problem is. It was a weird glandular sort of thing. We finally got it under control and we were like, she was on this medicine and then she got diagnosed with breast cancer uh, around like Thanksgiving of 2010. Mm-hmm. And I like to say that my emotions are on West coast time. So when we, we found out like on a Friday night and I was just like, okay, it's, this sucks, but we'll deal with it. It'll be fine. And then the next day I woke up and Michelle was in the living room watching a movie and she was watching the, the movie Ramona and Beezus, which was the, the, it's a movie with Selena Gomez and Joey King from years ago and space on the books. No one, no one has seen this. Movie. No idea what that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, no one's seen this movie, but like a million amazing Sandra Oh is in it. And, oh, wow. uh, um, What's the name? Aiden from uh, Sex and the City is in it. Mm. And just uh, Josh Dumal is in it. It's yeah. Anyway, she's watching the movie and she's like really coming to terms with the diagnosis and just being like, okay, I just want to watch this movie. These books were my favorite as a kid. And this is fun. And there was something about like this precocious little like eight-year-old kid running around doing her thing. And I was like, that's the kid we're not going to have. Oh God. And I just sobbed uncontrollably. Aww. And my, my wife who had just been diagnosed was like, get it together, man. Like I'm the one with the <laughs> cancer, not you. And I was like, I know. This is uh, but the point is that whole story is that we were like, okay, that's, that's the kid that we hope to have. And that's why we named her Ramona. Cause Aww, of the movie. that's adorable. That nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you had found out that your wife's ability to uh, have a child has dampered. I mean, obviously that's mixed in with, with cancer, right? That's just like a swirling, you know, a lot of emotions are are going on there. But when did you guys decide to start looking into adoption? I, I think a few months after... My wife would know this and I, I should know this, but I don't, it's all a blur. I'd imagine, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It just, it all kind of blends together and you're like, oh, wait, <laughs> what year is that? What, who was I? Yeah. I think a few months after she, her, she was done with her final treatment and she was feeling mm-hmm. better. So she, okay. Yeah. That um, makes sense. But she, yeah. But she's also like, <laughs> my wife gets diagnosed with cancer and right away she's like, okay, there is a, uh, a walk where you walk 40 miles to raise money for, for breast cancer. I'm going to do that within two months. And I was like, okay that's I mean, that's just who she is like she's the kind of person that's like okay go 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 i have to do this after this have to do this you know why can i do it yeah 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 and so i there is a strong possibility that while we were going through the whole process she was like okay gathering gathering pieces of information and mm-hmm. blah 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 but i don't rem- I, I think we, we took a full time like okay this is what we're going to do because it's a process it's like a whole thing 
Yeah. Um, you have to, there's, there's different ways in there, there's, there's private adoption where you, that's kind of like the version you see in the movies and TV where it's like you hire a lawyer, you literally put an ad in the penny saver, like in Juno. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Searching. Yeah. It's mostly in the South. Um, I'd be curious if it's still, I mean, you're in the South, so I don't know if you, if you find I'll a penny saver, see, yeah. <laughs> see if they're in the back there, like parent seeking, whatever. And then you, you hire a lawyer to take care of the paperwork, but you do all of the, the heavy lifting. You do all the work. You take ads out in the penny saver. You put together a website. You have to get, and this was like 10 years ago, so I don't know if it's still how they do it, but you get an 800 number that you have to man 24 hours a day. What? Because a well, because a potential birth mother could call you at any hour of the day, and you and don't say, want to just list your number in the in a random penny. No, statement. and you don't, yeah. and you don't want to miss the call either, right? You know, so you 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 can't like let it go to voicemail because they could change their mind at any second. You have to be on call, mm-hmm. and and it's nerve wracking because it's just putting it out there into the ether, and you also and and I I hate saying this, but money becomes a big factor in all this. It gets very expensive. Well, even and, what you've just described, it, it, it's it's similar steps to start a small business. I mean, yes, yes, yeah, that's like and, a lot, and of- yeah, and, and like that. I mean, the thing is too, when you're doing it privately, you put in your own money, and you you could loot like you can also depending on the state where the birth mother lives, that will decide how much or how little money you can give to the birth mother. Hmm. So there's some states that say like you can't pay rent or you can't pay more than x amount of dollars mm-hmm. and so you just say okay well i'll give you 500 dollars a month because the next few months because what you want too is you want that birth mother to take care of herself and mm-hmm. unfortunately nine times out of ten i, I mean I, I don't have the exact stats and i don't know what it and so but our experience was birth mothers are not putting their child up for adoption because uh, they're just not ready. It's not like Juno in that sense. Mm-hmm. They're doing it because they're in a very bad place, in yeah. a very, very bad place. And so um, your job is to, to as it, when, you, when it's a private situation, your job, not your job, but you, you try to help them stay healthy, go to doctor's mm-hmm. appointments, and you're doing this, you know, miles away, you know, so right. if you're in New York, Somebody in Mississippi, you're just kind of calling every day saying, hey, can you get to the doctor's appointment today? Do you want me to call you a cab? Do you need me to have food delivered to your house? Mm. Um, And then there's the agency route. And even that, we've had friends who adopted who had a very different agency experience than we had, but we had one that took care of everything. Their their whole philosophy, and and the name of the agency is Adoptions from the Heart. They're an amazing, amazing group, AFTH.org, if you'd like to donate. And uh, they, their whole function is to be the, I can't remember the term that they use, but basically to the, the, the baby is like their main concern. Mm-hmm. So they try to put together families. They, 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 they search for birth families. They search for uh, adoptive families, but they are the, you know, primarily they want to make sure that the baby has the best uh, situation possible. And so that means that they take, they, they, Will t- you know the social workers there will take birth mothers to the doctor. They will provide money for food, and they also you know all of the the fees and things that come up they put into escrow. So if 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 the birth mother changes her mind, which does happen fairly often, I'd imagine that money is not gone. That money is okay. goes back into escrow. 
But the big difference there is that everything is open. And an open adoption means that you agree to have contact in some way with the birth mother or birth parents for the rest of the child's life until the child turns 18 and the child can decide if they want to maintain contact or not. Okay. It's a weird experience. And, and, and part of like, you know, we were talking about off, off mic. It's a very weird feeling to, you're basically adding two people to your life, not just a baby. You're adding, yeah. you know, a birth mother and or a birth father. And so you went, you know, so, so there, what I was saying about off mic is like, you're adding even more people's stories to the mix. You're there, there are more people involved and it's a hard concept to grasp for me at first. It was definitely hard for family and friends to, uh, you know, family, especially because there's such a unknown variable with adoption to begin with. And then you're adding a different, you know, another person on top of that. It makes things confusing for family members. Whereas um, the, you know, and we'll just phrase it as the old fashioned way, you know, it's like your mom and dad and our genetic material is where you came from. And so in this case, it's more, there's just a little bit more conversation that go, has to go. Yeah. Yeah. It. I mean, what they, what we are, the story has always been with, with our daughter is that we're your mom and dad. And, but there was a woman who carried you in her belly for nine months. Mm-hmm. and she wants you to have the best life. So she picked us to be your parents and we're your parents and we're, we're, we're it. Yeah. And it's, yeah, the, the, the phraseology gets very tricky. Yeah. Right. Because it, it's like any sort of language, you know, you, you don't know how, you know, like they tell you say things like you don't say anymore, give up for adoption because no one's giving up. People are making very hard decisions. No one's giving. Of course, up. yeah. And I don't, I don't personally like the term adoptive father. Like there was a little kid on our block who, and everybody, know, like our daughter is black and Latina. My mm-hmm. wife and I are, are extra white. We are super <laughs> duper white. Yeah. And so nobody is like, oh hey, you know everybody. Yeah. It's it's it's, and she's also <laughs> she's beautiful. I mean, like, I don't know if you've ever seen Colin Kaepernick. He was adopted. Yeah. His parents are just these three foot tall little troll <laughs> people. And he's like this bronze, beautiful, like golden yeah. God, you know? And so that we're like, that's us, you know, we're just like, hi, <laughs> how are you? We're Ramona's yeah. parents. How are you doing? And so, yeah, no, like there was a little kid on the street and she was like, oh, I, you know, I know that you're not her real dad. And I was like, no, I'm her real dad. I'm not biologically her dad, but I'm her real dad. And, and, and the kid yeah. was like, not being a dick the kid was just you know six or five or whatever and just trying to figure some stuff out and, and she was like oh, no no i i didn't and she even said she's like oh right i didn't mean to say not real it was like, it was like biological and i was like yeah and, and thankfully you know it, it's, it's it's a neighborhood kid that we're all, all the parents are friends and stuff so i was like i have wiped this girl's butt so many times that i am officially her real dad yeah like, <laughs> i get to lay claim to that you know yes. as soon as you clean clean up pounds of poop from a person you can say yes <laughs> right. you are their they're their you're their parents right that actually comes up uh, in legal uh, in, in yes court. Yep, yes yeah we had to agree to that we had to agree to that yeah, <laughs> yeah. well uh, for the listeners i also interviewed ceo of the dave thomas foundation uh her name is rita soren and and, and so we have three clips to feature and uh, i think it's a good time to go to the first clip sure So let me get this straight. In today's day and age, you're supposed to be drinking a ton of water, doing yoga, making sure you and your whole family is happy, strike a good work-life balance, exercise, read books, watch movies, eat healthy meals, be a big part of your community, and get eight hours of sleep. 
<laughs> it's unrealistic. It's too much. Well, that's why there's Instacart to take a little bit off your plate or help put a little bit on your plate. Ah, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Using Instacart, you search for all your favorite foods and, and items that you need from the grocery store, fresh produce, all your favorites, everything you want, and they deliver it to you. They go to the store and do your shopping for you. Just remove it from your to-do list, just with a few clicks. And you'll have your items delivered to your door in as fast as an hour. It's pretty quick. And through the link in the episode description, they're offering free delivery on your first order over $35. But you gotta make sure you click the link in the description. That tells Instacart that this show sent you and it helps support the show. And you can also take advantage of the free delivery. So yeah, be nice to yourself. Give Instacart a shot. Joining me now on the podcast, I have Rita Sorenin, who is president and CEO of the Dave Thomas Foundation. Rita, thank you so much for, for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a delight to be here with you. Yeah, and we're going to talk about uh, adoption today and, and specifically adoption through foster care. That's right. Yep. In my favorite subject, as you might guess, and, and I'm looking forward to talking all about, you know, the, the apprehension people might have or just the, the misperceptions they may have or just not everybody knows a lot about it. So it'll be good to chat about what what this conversation is all about. Of course. Yeah. And, and for listeners of this podcast, this is the whole podcast is meant to make things known and to make things less scary and, and information is always helpful. So kind of jumping right in here, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and, and talk a little bit about what the foundation does? Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be at the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. It's a national nonprofit public charity that was founded by Dave Thomas. Some people may recognize and know him as the founder of the Wendy's company, those Frosties and, and French fries and square hamburgers. But what they may not know is that he was adopted as well. And so as he was getting on in his career and really wanted to put in place that notion of giving back to the community, it was built into the company's DNA, but they really wanted to sort of formalize what does that mean? He created the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption as a national nonprofit public charity to focus exclusively in the United States and Canada on children who were in foster care and waiting to be adopted. And we're wholly separate from the Wendy's company, but we are proud partners in all kinds of activities, including the fact that we're the charity of choice of Wendy's franchisees and, and suppliers and, and the corporate office. But that notion in 1992, when he created the foundation, was to really begin to elevate this conversation about certainly all kinds of adoption. If people are thinking about creating or expanding their family, there are lots of ways to do that. But in 1992, there wasn't a lot of conversation or understanding about what is this notion of adopting a child who's already had a family and they're in foster care and they're there for a reason, but we're not sure why and how might I get into that? So he really wanted the foundation to step into beginning to elevate that conversation, talking about what the process was, but we're also, as a nonprofit organization, a grant-making organization. So beginning to share our resources with other organizations that could effectively and efficiently move children out of foster care and into adoptive homes. So we do all of that in a number of ways. Incredible. I mean, what a man uh, concentrated on joy and happiness, right? Whether it's as small as a cheeseburger or as large as, as helping a child find a, a forever home. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. I, I guess I, I'd like to share that. 
I do have a little bit of experience with the, the foster care, in, um, I was going to say industry, but that's incorrect, but just the foster care system. My grandparents, after having several kids of their own, opened their home to many different wow. children, so, some for for brief stints, or and, and they adopted, I want to say, as many as five or six officially. Wow. And so growing up, there was always another kid running around, and, and they may have stayed and, and be technically one of my aunts or uncles now, uh, or it's, and I just share that as more of having seen the foster care system and, and the needs of the children coming through, right? Like my grandparents weren't equipped to help everyone, you know, be it a, a child who witnessed something unfortunate and it had to be moved out of the home. It's, it, it just, it takes so much. And so I wanted to just put, put it out there that there, there are such more people and people who do get into caring for other children. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's so heartwarming to think of, of how big these people's hearts really are. That's awesome. And I love hearing those stories. And what we find in the work at the foundation is the more we reach out, the more we talk, it really has either fostering as foster parents or volunteering somehow and becoming a mentor to a child or taking that step and adopting from foster care has impacted a lot of people. So it's it's great to hear those stories. And I think the more we hear the conversation, the less scary or the, the less just unknown it becomes. And, and these children then have a better chance at, at a at, at both a, a childhood and and a thriving adulthood. Of course, yeah. And I feel like the, the stories that do tend to rise to the top are when things go sour or, or something unfortunate has happened. And, and it's just like, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me. It may be something that you would be able to speak to, but it happens with all kinds of news, right? That we hear the, the negative and not the larger percentage of, of positive stories. That's exactly it. And look, these children are in care through no fault of their own. They've been abused or neglected or abandoned or much more frequently over the past couple of decades, parents have substance abuse issues that rise to such a level that they can't care for their children. It's a rare parent that intends to harm their child, right? But but what we know is that children have to be protected, they have to be safe. And that's when the state intervenes if there's a circumstance where either a child's physically abused sexually abused, or that notion of neglect doesn't have food, housing, appropriate care, then that's when the state takes an interest. And right now, as we're talking today, there are about 434,000 children in foster care. They're in some sort of substitute care in the United States. Now, hopefully they're with extended family. That's, That's the first best place for these children, but so many of them are not. They're in sort of stranger homes. Our goal is to get those children home. Is there a way to provide wraparound services, support? What does this family need to keep that child and to and to get that child back home? That's where children grow and thrive. Look, we're all homing pigeons at heart. No matter what we've experienced, home is where we identify. And so that's our job is to get them there. But right now for about 117,000 of those children, the abuse has riven, risen to such a level or that the courts have made a determination after quite a period of time that this child can never go home. Mm-hmm. And so the court legally separates that child from family. And then those are the children for whom the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption really centers its programs and its communications. That 117,000 children who have been freed for adoption, they're no longer a part of that biological family, at least legally, and now they're waiting for another family to step forward and bring them into their home. 
Excellent. Well, yeah. Oh man. That's so many kids. My goodness. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the, the different kinds of adoption, right? We're talking about foster care <laughs> just because of my history and growing up. I thought that that was like the main way, but I guess I, I another one comes to mind of just like an orphanage. And, and so I guess why would a kid wind up in an orphanage? I, I frankly, I don't even know if we still do orphanages here in the United States. And now that I've given you 15 questions at once while rambling, (laughs) (laughs) I will be quiet. I'll allow you to speak. No, it's perfect. That's what these conversations are all about. There are multiple ways that a child gets adopted. One that's most frequent and probably less complex is step-parent adoption, right? A child is is adopted by a Mm step-parent. But but the other main kinds, in addition to foster care, is international adoption. So folks may want to go to another country. Typically, that's because they're interested in adopting an infant. And they have this global view of the world. They may be driven by some faith-based tenant, or they may be driven by this notion that children shouldn't be in orphanages. And that's typically where orphanages exist now are in foreign countries, not in the United States. We've got group homes in the United States that are uh, getting less frequent where, where numbers of children would stay together for a temporary period of time. But technically we don't have orphanages at all in the United States anymore. And then there's that notion of domestic private infant adoption. So a family that's really, really wants to bring an infant into their home for whatever reason, they either can't have an infant or they choose not to, but they still want to raise a child from infancy. Then they go through attorneys and private agencies and frequently are in contact with the birth mother and then adopt that child once that child is born. The difference with foster care adoption, again, is those children are placed there because they've they've experienced certain layers of trauma. And the difference is there are fewer infants in the foster care system. They may be part of sibling groups, but the average age of a child in foster care waiting to be adopted is about nine. And so we begin to talk about what would it be like to bring an older child into your home if perhaps you've already had, you've raised a family from infancy, you've had either through the other kind of adoption or through birth, you've raised children from infancy and you've decided you still have room in your home, but you don't really want to deal with diapers or midnight feedings Mm -hmm. or raising a toddler again. That's where this notion of considering an older youth adoption really is the sweet spot of foster care adoption. Because here's what we also know, is that every year, even though we've promised to these children that our job is to find them a family if they've been legally freed for adoption, about 20,000 children each year turn 18 and leave the foster care without a family. They either came in at at an older age, they may have come in at 15 or 16, and so families tend not to think about a 16-year-old as their first idea of adopting out of foster care. And so they age out, we call it aging out of foster care. We also know that The result of a child leaving foster care without a family can cause challenges for that child, not because they're bad kids, but they're much more likely because they don't have that safety net family to be homeless or to be undereducated or to be unemployed or or to fall into other systems again. So our job is to no matter what the age of a child is, no matter what their journey has been, no matter what that family circumstance has been, our job is to make sure that every child who has been freed for adoption and is in the foster care system waiting for a family has every opportunity for an adoptive family and a home. That's an extremely worthwhile mission. It's also, you know, talking about aging out at 18. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can say with certainty that I didn't have my legs under me until like 
let's be honest, like 26, right? Where I felt, all right, I know exactly what I need to be doing and moving forward. And uh, very lucky to have had a family that, that supported me, right? So it's like 18 is such a, still a baby, right? It, it's a crazy way of thinking that a child can be on their own at 18 and thrive. Mm -hmm. And so when there are challenges, we ascribe fault to those children. Well, they must have done something wrong, right? Yeah. When think of it, I, I've got to have a car and a place to live and a job. And so I might have lined all those things up and then my car breaks down and I can't get to my job and I am living on, you know, from paycheck to paycheck. And suddenly all three of those are gone and I'm homeless. And if I had a family and my car broke down, I could call mom or I could call dad and I could say, I know you're going to get mad at me, but I need a ride to work and they'll get there, right? Or they can come back home um, yep. at 21 or 26 or 30. Or think about these children during the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. They were already placed in care. They, all of those visits with potential adoptive families or their social workers or extended family members stopped mm -hmm. for a certain period of time. So they're already isolated and, and that compounded that sense of isolation or they move frequently when they're in care because a foster family says, you know what, I can't take care of a child any longer right now. Or during the pandemic, they had health or economic issues. And so a child had to move again. And so again, all of those issues that begin to compound on that child's life and their soul and their shoulders of frequent moves, of, of being more at risk of, of even during the pandemic, of contracting COVID, of not knowing where I'm going to be tomorrow. Am I going to be going to school? They might be living in a household that didn't have access to solid internet. And so school became an issue. The challenges for our children in foster care were compounded dramatically during the pandemic, as they were for everyone, of course. Mm -hmm. But this population of children who already had experienced that trauma of removal from their home, of going into a strange government system, and now having to somehow figure out how to thrive, or if they left care during the pandemic, figuring out how to get a job, how to support themselves. It was just uh, phenomenal. We're starting to come out of that, but but we've learned a lot from that alone. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And And I mean, everyone can sort of appreciate the fact that if your basic needs aren't aren't met, you, you can't focus on on the next level task of going to school. Or if you're hungry, your first thought is, and, and you won't advance past the fact that I'm hungry, right? Exactly. Or or wondering where you're going to live. I mean, our brains really can only handle so much at a at a time to focus on. Exactly. And, and children at that age are still in brain development, right? Mm -hmm. And so that executive decision-making capacity that look in normal thriving families, if you go to a party and you start talking about your teenagers, what happens to everybody in the room? Everybody starts rolling their eyes. They've got a horror story about what my teenager yeah. <laughs> did, right? They're doing that because that's the normal developmental stage of teenager. They're testing, they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're asserting their independence, they're challenging. That's what they're supposed to be doing. But you add that to the layers of trauma of a 17-year-old in foster care wondering where they're going to be, and you're going to potentially have some acting out behaviors or some challenges with trust. They're experiencing such grief and loss and continuing lack of trust because potentially some of them have been raised in a system that again, we put these children at such a disadvantage. Our responsibility is to as quickly as we can get them into the safety net of a family and allow them 
to make mistakes, allow them to grow and thrive, allow them to try and assert their independence and challenge the status quo, because that's how we all learned how to be adults. But somehow we deny that of children in foster care. I know that's so sad. You're exactly right. I love the way of putting it. That's what they're supposed to be doing, right? Right. You're supposed to be, that's this natural step from childhood to adulthood. So yeah, yeah, some people tend to look down on people, uh, children, right? (laughs) Who who are only doing what naturally their brains are uh, inclining them to do. I I said this to you off mic, but I'm going to say it again. You know, if this is too personal, please push back. What made you decide as a couple to go the route that you went, you know, and Rita was talking about foster care adoptions and you were mentioning before there are many kinds of adoptions. Why did, why did your route work for you? There were, there was a couple of different factors and, and, and I'm not a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person. I'm a very logical blah, blah, blah. But as we were doing research, different things fell into place that felt like the universe was like, okay, this is the way to go. Mm-hmm. And so we researched private adoption. It felt too out of control for us. There were, there were too many unknown variables. We, we actually went to a support group for people looking to adopt. Mm-hmm. And it was really painful to watch. It was really hard to go. Just people um, were at the end of the rope or, or unsure about how to move forward or... People were... I mean, there there are a bunch of people that like one woman was there who just went to the meetings once a month. She kept saying she was deciding she wanted to adopt or not, but I got the sense she was like, she was like a a tourist, Uh, Mm. you know, there was another couple there who had dropped $40,000, $30,000, something like that. And on a birth mother who changed her mind at the last minute. Oh my God. Um, Yeah. And it was hard, you know, and, and. And, th- and there were just a lot of stories. And then this woman came in with her baby who she just adopted and she was seeing everybody and she was smiling and she was happy with the baby, but then she looked and saw the couple and she was like, oh no, why are you here? And, and, and it dawned on her that everything fell apart mm. and it was just, it was gut-wrenching and it was, it was really, and, and we had just been through so much trauma with cancer and stuff that we just thought like how how do we alleviate some of this trauma how how do we how do do we get through this as as peacefully as possible Mm -hmm. there was talk for a brief moment of surrogacy but we just felt like that it's not legal per se i mean you can you can have someone else's baby in new york state and we lived in new york state at the time Mm -hmm. you can't pay someone to have your baby so you can pay for their care, but you can't give them cash and whatever. So, but we, it just felt dicey and it felt like for us anyway, it felt like if we went that route, then we're monitoring the behavior of this person who we know, who, you know, if they, if they do something wrong, are we going to hold against them? Or if, or if the baby, you know, is like not good at math, are we going to be like, well, so-and-so mm-hmm. I think had a glass of wine during yeah. the pregnancy. That's probably why, you know, so we're like, let's not do that. And then in the course of our, our research, one of my friends from, from my job at the time had just adopted her daughter and she talked to her social worker and they recommended adoptions from the heart. And so we got on a, a, a call with them 
and uh they we just loved everything that they said like everything was like yeah it makes sense it makes sense okay great and then we called them up like i think 20 minutes later or maybe the next day and just said hey we'd like to sign up with you guys and and like the social worker who we wound up going with answered and she was amazing and she like this is going to want to be one of the most old man things i say but she was like this 24 year old kid yeah. who was just like a social worker who who did this every day and she uh was just like, yeah i'll help you out let's do this and blah, blah. and she took us through the process and and we, we we started and it's uh it just it everything kind of felt right with that route mm-hmm. you know yeah um, it's just like you you go into a store you try on a pair of pants if it you know <laughs> It's, it's if sadly, it feels good yeah. i mean to yeah wildly oversimplify it but no but it, yeah right, no it, right. it just like you know it, it's it's you know one of the things i learned with michelle's cancer was like you know before that you know you go to the doctor and you're like oh i have a sore throat and the doctor looks at you and goes okay yep you have strep throat here's a medicine go home see you in a couple of weeks if it gets worse mm-hmm. call me and blah, blah, blah. And then when you have something like cancer or something terminal or something long-term or whatever, they kind of go, we're going to try this. And we're going to try this. What do you think? And you're like, how the hell? I mean, you're the, you're the doctor. You're, yeah. You're the doctor. I, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a bit, you get into this kind of like, not a guessing game, but you have to go with your gut more than you'd like to. Okay. And so that I think set the stage a bit f- for us, for the adoption thing where we felt like, okay, we got to, we went with our gut on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, we weighed the pros and cons, but we just went with our gut on a lot of stuff, especially w- when it came to adopting transracially, because mm-hmm. um, that was a big, that was a big decision. That, w- that was one of the bigger decisions of the whole piece because, you know, we knew living in Brooklyn, it wouldn't be a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no one would, would raise an eye or bat an eye or raise an, whatever. They wouldn't raise, they wouldn't bat their eyes, whatever they would do. But where I grew up, in in like western upstate new york i was concerned frankly i i I, I thought i wasn't sure how to handle the situation right um and then we just did some research and it's funny we were talking about this the other day we went to this like all-day seminar of just learning about different adoption stuff Mm -hmm. um you know how to handle forms and how to handle this and how to handle baby care and blah 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 and we went to this one on how to adopt transracially and we're like okay we're gonna learn everything here and and the guy that taught it was like horribly racist (laughs) it was really offensive oh yeah it was it was awful it was awful i mean i won't even you know and he was saying how like everything was terrible like the kids who were being who who had been adopted transracially grew up to be horrible people and so we're just like and, and my wife is like again who's like this powerhouse very outspoken woman was just like you can like people came up to us afterwards and they were like are you, is she okay because she was like shaking and she was like grunting just kind of like oh, i'm gonna say something to this, this guy. yeah <laughs> and uh and so that and then later well there's something else later that happened but like that was a moment we were like if this racist piece of shit can do that this then we can we can do it right do it. yeah my goodness oh yeah and it was but then like an hour later so so it was it was sponsored by i cannot remember the name but it was a, it was a jewish community group in in the city mm-hmm. and in new york city for those listeners outside of new york and the the guy that ran it was this orthodox jewish man who adopted his daughter from venezuela mm-hmm. 
And at the very end of the day, they had the adult children of adoption. So they were all like in their 20s and telling their story. Mm-hmm. And this young woman who's Venezuelan was telling her story and, and she was just very really well put together. She was doing, you know, talking about her business and how successful she was and, and how, you know, growing up and she was different from her parents, but it was okay and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then from the back, you hear this dad say, you hear someone just go like, oh, isn't she beautiful? And it was the guy, you know, sponsoring who's this like tiny little Jewish man. Um, and, and, the, and, the, and the woman went from like this put together <laughs> older woman to like a 10 year old girl right when she was like, dad. Oh uh, my God. And, and it was that universal, mm-hmm. like embarrassed by my parents. And, and that for me too, was also like, a, oh, you know, parental love is universal. Yeah. You know? it, it is. It, it's just, there are certain things you, when you adopt transracially that you, you do have to keep in mind and, and be prepared to do and, and be aware of, but like, you know, love is love is love. And yeah. so that was a big, like, okay, cool. We can do this. I love that. That's I hope amazing. that answered your question. I kind of feel like I went on a long, no, it, it absolutely does. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it's so, you know, you're describing, you described a support group and you described the seminar, some of which may have been ru- almost ruined by uh, a racist guy, but it yeah. seems like there is quite a bit of support out there for people who are, have recently adopted are nav- navigating the process. Did you feel like that that's the case? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the agency advocates, that's the word I was looking for before it, it is, you know, their whole primarily thing is the primary thing is to advocate for the baby. Yeah. And then there's also a social worker who is like an independent contractor, mm-hmm. not the social worker that we went through who works for the agency, but one that, that, helps us and did like the the home study which they they check your house out and make sure that everything is cool she was the one who was very supportive in offering us a lot of resources and things to say okay yeah this is normal and this is okay and blah blah blah. there are a bunch of resources out there especially you know in the in the age of social media yeah um it's a good way to find it locally and and you know where we live there's just a ton of parents who have, who have adopted. Mm-hmm. So pre COVID we, we had started going to uh, meetups mm-hmm. with, with other adoptive families, but it's, it's slowed down a bit, but we, you see a lot of transracial families around here, a lot of families built by adoption, a lot of families like uh, on our block, we had a, um, she just moved. So it's, you know, um, we had a, a mom, a single mom by choice. You know, she had a, a a donor and, and all that. And so mm-hmm. everything feels kind of normal, yeah. you know, because there's so many different sort of things. So hopefully when you adopt or when you're, if you've just adopted, or if you're looking, you, you find people who are in your situation. Mm-hmm. And I, I also find like, we had my friend who had just adopted. She was a coworker and she became a close friend who was kind of like our adoption mentor. So she was the one we would just call and say, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? But also I recall too, we would call our social work. We would call the social worker at the agency. I mean, even to just say, we feel really depressed today and feel like nothing's going to happen. Can you just tell us it's going to be okay? And she'd be like, again, 24 years old. 
And she'd be like, yeah, you're going to be okay. This is very normal. I've seen this a million times and your baby is out there and blah, blah, blah. And so I, I found that like, and again, I think that, that that's going through the agency process. Mm-hmm. I think what's nice about that is you, you have those resources there. Yeah. When it's just you, you're, you're doing a lot of the heavy lifting yourself and you're having to find these support groups and having to find these things yourself. So, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes for much less things, I need to hear that everything's going to be all right. Oh right? my God. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was nice to just be able to pick up a phone and be like, just say everything's going to be okay. I pat her yeah. head over the phone. <laughs> That'd be great. That's awesome. And she did. Well, now I think is a good time to go to the second clip where Rita talks about the difficulty of the process and and talks about some of the support groups that are out there uh, that her organization works with. I want to switch and, and, and talk about the other side of this. So I don't know if you've seen it and I don't know. It's always a risk to put a, a reference out there to see if, uh, because then if you haven't seen it, we, we we're misconnecting a little bit. But uh, the idea for this episode came from a TV show called Trying. It's a UK based show, um, an HBO. And it at first they were trying to get pregnant and couldn't. And then they started into the, the adoption care system and it, it talks about like the the issues and, and the lengths that they had to go is that accurate is it is it a, a particularly difficult process it is it, it can be a difficult process first and foremost because it's an unknown you know none of us know anything about the child welfare system unless we've either worked there we've experienced mm-hmm. it from a lived experience or, or somehow we're connected through social workers or judges or courts or some some way. Otherwise, it's just this unknown territory. But look, it's 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 a government system. At the heart of it, it's a government system. These children are in the custody of the state, and so it's fraught with all of those challenges of overwhelmed workers, a constant turnover of workers because they're not paid well enough for the work that they do, and it's it's burnout. It's this is hard work, or you know, a lack of a return phone call. That's the negative side. But there are also these time periods that it takes. So we don't want to quickly make decisions. We want to make sure that a child is safe. There are both legislative timelines and there are policy timelines about what happens at each stage in this process from the point of removal of a child from foster care. They may come in, an adult could go in and get trained and licensed as a foster parent. They can get trained and licensed as a foster to adopt parent. So they may have had a child in their home for a period of time fostering them. And then the decision was made that this child can't go home, they're freed for adoption. And then that family is looked at for potential adoption. That takes time. But even that stepping into the process, so there's, there are, there's paperwork to fill out. There are classes, mandatory classes to take. There are background checks that have to occur, of course, for the safety of the children. There's a home study where there's a, a really a, a, a thorough look at the safety of the home, of the people in the home, of background checks on all the people in the home. So there's a home study that has to occur. Each one of these things takes time and aren't necessarily always scheduled at the convenience of of the people that are stepping forward. And then even once we get up past all that and and a child is placed in a a potential adoptive family's home, most states have about a six-month waiting period before that can move to court for that to be legally finalized as an adoption. So it can take anywhere from 
we say, you know, 12 to 18 to 24 months from that point of first discovery that I think I want to do this and I tiptoe into it, uh, the child welfare agency and begin the process to that final adoption court hearing when that child becomes legally mine. And in between that is dealing with social workers and court hearings and, and all of that stuff that just again, isn't something that's part of our everyday life until you step into it. So I think the unknown is the biggest factor. And what we say to people is really, really do a lot of research ahead of time. Mm -hmm. The internet is full of links to adoption agencies, processes for adopting. On our website at davethomasfoundation.org, we've got a beginner's guide to adoption. Really learn as much as you can about the system so it doesn't perhaps catch you as by surprise when you begin to walk into it but also take a real hard look at, at your family and yourself and be, and be really hard on yourself. What do I want? Will, am I willing to adopt a teenager? Am I willing to adopt a sibling group? Am I, could I handle a child with special needs? And if the answer is no to any of those, that's okay. There's no judgment. It's an honest assessment of what I can handle as a parent or what my family can handle. But if the answer is yes, then explore what those opportunities are and where you can begin to develop a network around you of others who have adopted or gone through the foster mm -hmm. care system so that you have a supportive network around you as well. So yes, not unlike the UK and, and, and we have very similar systems as the UK, it can take a, a period of time. It can seem grueling. I think the one thing that I say to folks is expect the unexpected at all turns, um, but go into it with an open heart and an open mind and know that at the end of the day, this is about what's best for a child and no one intends to make it complex or difficult. It's just the nature of the beast. Right, right. As you described, I mean, government agencies aren't really known for their speed, especially when they're gonna place a defenseless child in the care of a stranger. So absolutely, I guess that, I guess when you reframe, because I feel like a lot of people who are about to adopt are, are nervous that they're not going to come off as good enough and, and right. And, and they're, they are doing these hard assessments like you're talking about and kind of beating themselves up. But if you reframe it, that may help that it's just like, this is a good thing. This is the state doing what has to be done so that these kids wind up in a, in a better situation in which they're coming from. Exactly. And we know from research that we do that, you know, we take this uh, routine sort of scan of Americans' attitudes about foster caring and foster care adoption. We know that the majority of folks come into foster care adoption in particular because they want to help a child. So they come in for all the right reasons. Mm -hmm. I don't want that to get dampened in a process that seems like it goes on longer than I thought, or I'm not getting a phone call returned, or I'm really frustrated by the paperwork I have to continue to do. Keep in mind what drew you there in the first place, which is I want to help a child in need. Right, of course. I'm curious about the, the, would you refer to it as the matching aspect of adoption in that parents to a child? How, how does that work? Yeah, part of, again, it's all about open communication. So as you're going through the training, as you're going through working with uh, um, your caseworker, it's really important. And you do that self-assessment to say, I really, I, you know, I think a child from age five to 10 would be perfect for our family. Mm -hmm. Making sure you communicate that so that when the caseworker begins, when you're ready and you've gone through all the steps and you're ready to begin having a child come into your home that may be in a, a potential permanent placement in your house, the caseworker knows this, this family really doesn't want an infant or a toddler, or this family really 
is not interested in a 16 year old child and they'll do their best to make that match. I will say that they won't stop there if they, as they get to know you as a family and you get to know them and they might say, okay, I know you said five to 10, but I've got this 11 year old that I think would fit really nicely with your family. Again, stay open, I think, to the conversation, but you don't have to, you don't have to compromise if you really don't want to adopt a teenager, then you make sure that that's communicated. And then once that child or children are identified, then there's this period in which they begin to introduce that child, the caseworker begins to introduce that child or children to the family. They have a number of, of, of opportunities to meet, to spend some time on a limited basis so you can begin to get to know each other. And frankly, so the child can begin to get to know you. Their voice should be important in this process too, depending on their age. And once that goes in a way that everybody feels comfortable, then the, the, the caseworker will place that child in your home to, to do this sort of, I hate to call it a trial period, but the courts usually say about six months, it is indeed a trial period. Is this going to be a match that works for the family, but most importantly for the child? And then once all of that goes through, then they begin to schedule that final court hearing. The, the judge, though, will also ask at that final court hearing, will ask the child, will ask the family a number of questions. Do you understand that this is forever? This is a permanent placement. Are you willing to take this child as if they had been born to you and have all the rights and legal obligations that you would have as if this were a child by birth? And so the judge will, again, guarantee and will check the record and make sure that everything's in place. And then once that gavel hits the desk, that child is permanently your child. So I think that matching process is critical of communication. Who might be best for my family, particularly if I have other children in the family and I don't want to really interrupt birth order, you know, that might be a consideration. Or I really would consider maybe a sibling set of two, but I'm not sure I could handle a sibling set of five. So really communicating what you think you can handle and then being open to what might the children that might come in front of you. Yeah, that's a good way of, of framing your mindset going into something like that. Look who we got here. It's our friends at My Software Tutor. Can Excel be my friend? Many people have wondered this for years. The answer is yes, it can. Excel doesn't have to be like the friend that your mom makes you hang out with in elementary school. It's weird. It's always stuff with boogers, right? What's wrong? What's up? Why is that kid always eating boogers? Their house always had the best snacks, too. And there he is. Boogers. Well, Excel doesn't have to be like that weird kid. Unless you were that weird kid, were you? Be honest, you know, I'm not actually asking. I can't hear your response, but you know, and it's okay if you were, you know, just take it easy with the boogers. <laughs> just talking about boogers to Oregon Ad Read. Uh, don't worry, this is, they didn't write this, that part. That was a, an improvisation. My Software Tutor offers three levels of real-time Zoom-based courses with a live instructor. They deliver practical, functional business skills in a friendly and supportive environment. It can be daunting, right? You, you need that supporting environment to learn Excel. There's no stupid questions. It could be really difficult. And as we know, and we talk about it on this podcast all the time, it could be really daunting to learn something new and put yourself out there. So think of this as like a, a kindergarten for learning something new and, and helping your job prospects. Or be better at the job you already have. Get that raise. Get that whatever. Take pictures of it for Instagram. Yeah, that'll be cool. <laughs> Keeping it as vague as possible so that you can input your own 
Just just making a mad lib of, of your own desires. These courses will increase your marketability, whether you're an employee, job seeker, consultant, or contractor. Register at mysoftwaretutor.com and use the promo code POD20 to save 20% off all registrations. Thank you so much to My Software Tutor. Yeah, guys, take advantage of that 20% off and confidently list Excel on your resume. Uh, one of the more interesting things, and this is certainly for parents, whether they're born the old-fashioned way or, or adopted, is uh, what Rita was talking about, the fear of, of not being good enough or, or that you're not ready or how did you guys navigate, you know, the, the natural anxieties related to <laughs> being a parent? I mean, I know there's that long stretch of like trying to find a baby and then all of a sudden it's got to switch to the anxiety of like, Oh my gosh, now we have a baby. Uh, I don't know that we have stopped feeling like oh my god i don't know what i'm doing that's probably I mean, that, a good that, thing now that that's, thinking, yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i i don't know any parent that feels like oh my god i'm nailing it and if yeah. and if you i mean i i actually that's not true i know a couple that do and they're they're full of shit yeah uh, um <laughs> no because you 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 uh, you know i so my brother i have a younger sister and younger brother and they both have kids and we all compare notes and whether just having a kid is like trying to control a tornado in the middle of a snowstorm. Um, it's just, you just keep adjusting as you go. And then as yeah. soon as you figured out what they're going to do, they, they go the other way, <laughs> especially with babies. I mean, ba- I gotta say, it's not that they're easier, but like, like this is, I, I, I worked a joke like this, but like, having a baby is like having a fish for the first six months. Uh-huh. They don't respond to you. I mean, they kind of do, they kind of know you're there, but not really you're feeding them. And all you're doing is like, just stay alive. That's it. That's all yeah. you care about. <laughs> and then they start noticing you and, and, and start reacting and, and, and they turn into uh, a dog basically where they're just happy to see you Mm-hmm. Again, their needs are very uh, limited. They just want to go for a walk once in a while. Uh, they just want to be fed and you just clean up their poop and that's it. Yeah. And then they start developing personalities and uh, it's like having a cat where you're just like, you're feeding it, you're, you're caring for it. And, but it's got its own agenda, you know, like mm-hmm. this kid is doing its own <laughs> thing and you're just trying to, you know, do, do your best. I think that like we see firsthand kind of nature versus nurture in a lot of ways because there isn't a biological connection. There are things that are unique to her. She's very into hockey. She's very into track. My wife and I are both performers. We don't know what the hell we're doing, you know. So we take her to these <laughs> sports things. She likes and, hockey. That's great. Loves it. We I love hockey. It. Loves to play. Oh, she loves oh, it. And she's great. amazing. She's amazing. She's like a rocket on the ice. She's that's amazing. awesome. But like we we don't you know, we're just like, okay, do we, we like how much or how little do we, do we do this with her? You know, do, yeah. do we make this her whole life, which you can do with, with a sport or with a, mm-hmm. a hobby, or do we, you know, uh, uh, or do we do too little, you know, do, you know, like how much is like, 
when if she says like, I don't feel like going today, do we say, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, an activity right. or do we say, no, you don't give up, you know, like you, you're, you're constantly trying to like do your best with all this stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, she's also really funny and she has my stubbornness and the two of us will butt heads and, and she just has impeccable comedic timing. Like, like, I mean, you know, as a, as a performer, like you learn things in improv, you learn things in stand up, like how to craft a joke or, or how to put things together, but no one can teach you to be funny. Like you just right. are, you aren't. And mm-hmm. she is. And so that I'm, I try to encourage as well, but, but I'm also just like, I just get to sit back and watch it happen. And it's, it's amazing. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah, Even if cool. like you're like supposed to be upset with her and she cracks something, it's yeah. got to be like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. No, it, it just, you know, like I'll be it's it's there's so many moments where you're like, it's been an hour. I've asked you three thousand times to put your pajamas on. Just put your pajamas on it and go to bed. And then she'll run in with like no bottoms on. She'll be like, look at my butt. Look at my butt. This is my butt. And you're like, God damn it. That's hilarious. <laughs> no that's amazing yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. oh man but you know like we live in a town with with that is all people that like it is brooklyn 2.0 and that like it's where hipsters go to like have their kids and so everybody is is like-minded mm-hmm. in a lot of ways so you, you find your people you find you find like-minded parents and and all of us just like Oh my God, my kid did this. Oh, my kid did that too. Okay. I feel okay. So they're not. Yeah. The sense of community is huge, right? It's huge. It's, oh yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I mean, from, from, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff and there's, you know, like even the, the local bookstore, we've, we've, we're friendly with them. Mm -hmm. And I went in the other day or a couple months ago. I don't know what day it is anymore. I don't know what time. And, um, was like hey do you have any books on puberty and they were like oh my god it's R- ramona's eight okay oh yeah i guess it's time okay you're with me yeah <laughs> yeah and they know who she is they know you know and they pointed me in, in, and they, they had it hidden actually they had it uh all the puberty books were hidden in a section because they found that middle school kids were taking them and stealing them oh so they had gosh. to hide them uh so the parents would ask for them and, and know where they that's so funny kids i can't wait to find out what happens to my body i need to well yeah i I think yeah well i think a lot of kids were like oh my god what's wrong with me let me find this book and so yeah (laughs) but it's all yeah so community helps but i don't think it ever i don't think it ever goes away i mean makes sense yeah yeah. you know I, i I, I did a really terrible one-man show about the whole adoption process, which was just me talking for like 40 minutes. And it was, it was yeah. And a friend came to see it. And, and afterwards she said, you know, do you, do you feel like you love your child more than other people love their children because of the process that you went through? And I said, well, I don't have a, a baseline reference to that. I don't know how much you love your child versus how much mm-hmm. I love my child, but I love my child and I, I love my daughter. And, and I know you love your kids and, and, we're all just trying our best. Yeah. <laughs> just doing our, you know, so I think like whether you've become a family through adoption or naturally, I, I don't think anybody has, I, th- I think there's like more common things than uncommon things. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good advice that uh, yeah. at no point will you ever feel like you have both feet nope. on the ground as a parent. Never. never. It's a natural feeling yeah. <laughs> to be overwhelmed. Yeah. 
I'm curious about the the matching aspect. So in your case, it, it may be a little bit different than what Rita's describing in, in foster care. You know, you guys are describing a, a situation where you're trying to find that kid or so. But how does that work? Is it the 24 year old rock star is like, I found this family, this this mother or. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the, the matching aspect. OK, so. Uh, if I if I get too rambly, just slap me. Uh, no, slap me. Stop me. <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so I can just describe what we did with our agency because different people do different things differently. Like I said, you know, getting the, the there are people that put an ad out in the penny saver. There are people that hire a lawyer. There are people that hire, you know, an independent person to go do whatever. The agency, the way they work is they 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 film a video of you. Um, you talk. You answer some questions. Mm-hmm. And this is after all the paperwork and, and you know, and, the, and that, and all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed and whatever, but then you um, put together your book, which is like a little brochure about you. Mm. And I worked in advertising at the time. So I was like, I'll just lay this out. And, and somebody, we'd looked at other families' books um, and they're physical copies. They're like two page PDFs that people print out and put together. Although I think now it's more digital. And I just made it look like a newspaper that like, I'd want to read and like, Oh, this couple seems nice. And one of the things early on that we had learned in one of the support groups or informational meetings or whatever was they said, you will never know why a birth mother chooses you. They could see, like she said, I I knew a family once this this woman who gave this informational group said, "I, I knew this family once who was looking through books and she saw pictures of this couple and they had a piano in their apartment. And it reminded the, the birth mom of her favorite aunt who played the piano. And she's like, that's, I'm going with them. Oh my gosh. And so there's a little bit of like give and take there, you know, yeah. at the agency, the, the social workers there take the birth mothers, you know, when the birth mothers kind of come in and register with the agency, they take them through the books and say, here's all the families to look through, see if, you know, who, who you like. There are, if the, if the birth mother can't decide, there are rankings of families depending on on where they're at in the situation Mm. for us we were chosen and then we arrived to meet the baby and after a couple days we still weren't meeting the baby with the baby and then the birth mother changed her mind Mm. and so which is legally called a disappointment which is like uh i think that you know i feel like it's like it it is like legally this is a boo-boo um, and so that moved us up in the ranks where if the, if the birth mother couldn't decide, we were like second on the list, because if you have a disappointment, they also, I mean, I should say this too, like the birth mother has, depending on the state where the adoption is, is, I don't want to say it takes place, but where, wherever the legal paperwork goes through, uh, the birth mother can be from New Jersey or Maine. But she could decide, oh, I want to I want to have the, the, the adoption take place in New York, for example, because mm. you live in New York. Those states' laws are what determines the the trial period, essentially. Okay. So like uh, New Jersey, the birth mother has 48 hours to change her mind. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, New York, I think it's like 30 days. Okay. And so she could like come in, you know, so that's just this little side tangential sort of thing. So for us... After that happened about a month later, yeah, our birth mother was like, we were like high on the list, but our birth mother went through and, and saw that we lived in New York. And she was like, I've always wanted to live in New York. 
So I think that I would love to have this child live in New York. And that was it. And that was part of the deal. I should also mention too, like when you register or like when we registered, they you fill out what's called a key, which is everything that you're comfortable with, because there, there are certain things you as a, an adoptive parent have to be comfortable with. You have to be comfortable with the age of the baby. I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, we talked about foster versus a baby. For us, we we, we just wanted a baby. We we wanted to, to go through the whole be there thing from the start. Yeah. Yeah. And so you also have to be comfortable with like the lo- the level of alcohol and drug use that the birth mother has done wow. um, okay. yeah. uh, over the course of the pregnancy and also the mental health history of the birth mother. Mm. And so you, you go through and, and, and you don't have to just make these decisions up in the air. We, we, we consulted a pediatrician and said, you know, what, what do you think? And it turns out alcohol use is much worse than drug use mm. um, in some cases. So part of that is, uh, there's all this is to say, is be, I'm bringing this up because every month we would get a form that says like, okay, well, these things are slightly outside of your comfort zone. Would you consider them? Got and it. so okay. you would, you would just get this like spreadsheet of potential birth mothers mm-hmm. that were like, like, we were like, we really don't feel comfortable with alcohol use based on what we heard from this pediatrician. And so you would get things that were like, well, she drank, you know, like a case of beer a week. Are you okay with that? And so you'd be like, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel good. Like, is she being and truthful, you, right? Is it? Well, it just, beer? but it's also, okay, let's say that that happens and you, you, you know, that there's, there's a risk of fetal alcohol syndrome. And, and, and nowadays fetal alcohol syndrome is more of a spectrum, which means there's, mm-hmm. there's learning disabilities. It's not just like, I think down syndrome, but I think was one of the symptoms of fetal alcohol syndrome. I don't know if that's exactly true. I'm not a doctor, but whatever. There, there's like severe cases and there's what they learned later is that like, there are some cases of fetal alcohol syndrome that just cause learning delays. Got it. And so then you have to be like, okay, well, if the child has learning delays, do we feel comfortable getting tutors or special therapists or that sort of thing? You know, it, it, it's just, there's just a lot of factors to consider. Mm-hmm. And so it's all just part of the process you know, are you outside of that? So all this is to say is like the matching of process really comes down to who feels comfortable with you and who, you know, it, it just, it just works itself out. And what you feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when we had our disruption or our disappointment, disruption is when it's past the, it's in the 30 day window or whatever. Oh, wow. um, yeah. It's called a disruption uh, or a big boo-boo. Such a, um, yeah, it's a harsh sounding word. Yeah. It's such a harsh sounding word. <laughs> um, but I called my, my adoption mentor friend and before she, you know, cause I text her and she called me right away. And before even saying hello, she just said, this isn't your baby. This is, you know, your baby's out there. This is mm-hmm. just not right. And again, not a spiritual person, but when our daughter was brought into the room, she there was something familiar right away. There Love was at first sight. Just, yeah. Yeah. But, but, all, but more than that, right. There was, there was more of a, yeah. Where, where have you guys been? You know, there was kind of a, <laughs> Hey, it's good to see, you know, like, right. You know, Hey mom and dad, it's, it's good to see you. How you doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, which I imagine all parents go through, you know, in, in a moment, but I, it, it just, everything, everything that had been negative up to that point felt like, Oh, this was, was, this was all the work that we had to do to get to this point. 
this is where we had to be. That's a beautiful Um, thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know, I'm a beautiful guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it, it just, it, it just, everything clicked into place. And I, I think that that's a big part of the matching process. And you probably just, yeah, just something that you need to keep your, your, your mind focused on as you're going through that process of, you know, you, you want a baby, this is just sort of what you have to do, I guess, to, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. You, you, it's very hard to keep that mindset. Yeah. It's very hard to keep that mindset. And, but again, especially right after we had the, that first prop, you know, disappointment, we, we called the social worker and just said, just once again, just tell us we're okay. Tell us everything's mm-hmm. going to be okay. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I, I know it sucks. It's hard. It's, it's, it's really, it really sucks, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And now it is. And now it is. Yeah. Now it's a whole nother ball of wax in terms of parenting. It's a tornado just, in a snowstorm. <laughs> a tornado in a snowstorm <laughs> without a jacket. <laughs> well, cool. I think it's a good time to go to the third and final clip with Rita. Hey, do you wish you were a thoughtful card person but don't have the time or energy? Right? You want to be that person that has a hobby, full-time job, crushing it in the job, has kids, has a family, has a dog, whatever it is, and still... Right, sends that message, sends a card, handwritten, something that makes you laugh and cry. How does that person do it? I don't know. But maybe it's Cardist. Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Cardist. (laughs) The Cardist Studio is your personal assistant. That's how you get it done, right? Somebody helps you out with it. That's okay. The end result is still the end result. You're thinking, oh, should I send them a card? That's it. From there, you just jump onto thecardiststudio.com and tell them exactly what just popped in your head. Your thoughtfulness. The Cardist Studio will get your personalized message handwritten into the card and in the mail for you. You're busy. You're doing a lot of other things. You know, it's not like they're going to tell on you. And the person's going to be thrilled. I've gotten one of these and it filled my heart with joy. Even better, it's fast, it's custom, and it's a total life changer. Hey, you're a thoughtful card person now. Look at you. New achievement unlocked. Just go to thecardiststudio.com and you can even use the promo code ANXIETYPOD for 10% off all orders. So I've heard a few things that would be helpful, but I'm curious if I pose the question to you, what's the most important thing that someone going into the adoption process should know? What would you think that is? I think adopting from foster care, it's critically important important to recognize these children come from other families and depending on their age, they're going to remember those other families and they're going to feel a sense of grief and loss. And what did I do wrong? Why am I here? Why did my family not love me well enough that I have to go over here? Mm -hmm. So respect and honor the history that a child has. And if at all possible, if it's safe, engage extended family members with that child when you feel it's appropriate. The second piece is this is permanent. This isn't a, this isn't a, I can give this child back if after a year, this doesn't feel right. That determination has been made with pre-finalization because the last thing we want to do is further traumatize a child and say, this isn't working out. You're back in the system, even though I legally adopted you. So respect and honor who this child is, where they came from and, and, and where they're going, but understand that this is permanent and that love is great. It's exactly what makes up a family. 
but it doesn't fix necessarily all of the circumstances that surround this child. And so when a child pushes back or resists connecting at a point, understand it's not about you, this is about the child and, and, and help the child get to that next level of trust. That's great. Yeah. It's uh, sometimes we all just need a little bit of space to work out our stuff, right? Love yeah. Yeah. a lot of things, but yeah. um, sometimes you just got to handle it. And that's great. That's a great reminder. Exactly. Well, um, how can people get involved with uh, the foundation? So we've got, you know, like everyone else, a great website, davethomasfoundation.org. And on there is all kinds of information there. And in fact, I would direct them first to videos. There are incredible family videos that show families that have come together through foster care adoption. So you begin to get a flair of of what what these families have expressed that feels good about having gone through this process. The Beginner's Guide to Adoption is there and lots of other resources um, are there. You can also call our our, our number 800-ASK-DTFA and during normal work hours and we're on Eastern Standard Time, we'll get you'll get folks that can talk you through a process as well. You can send an email to us, we'll get information back to you, but lots of resources that we can connect you with we also have a, a program that's embedded in all of the states across the country that we support full-time adoption professionals that implement a model that we created that really works on behalf of those children most at risk of aging out of care. So teenagers, children in sibling groups, children with special needs, they're not the first thought of people that are thinking of adoption frequently. And so they're more at risk of aging out of care. We give grants to agencies to hire those full-time adoption professionals that implement this model that works phenomenally well on behalf of these kids. We can get you connected to an agency that we fund in a state that you might be in and get you a direct line into agencies that we know and and have funded and and know do great work on behalf of children as well. Incredible. And for people listening, I'm going to put all this information in the description on whatever platform you're listening to. So you're only a a click away. Well, Rita, I've learned a lot here. I love that. I love knowing just how much support there are or there is out there for, for people and so I really want to stress that. I mean, that that was like the main thing that stuck out to me that like you will be supported in this decision. Yes. Um, you're not alone. But I just want to double check if there's anything you think I'm, uh, I'm missing. Is there something else about foster adoption that you would like to add or about the foundation that you would like to add? Yeah, you know, we we always quote Dave Thomas, who said, these children are not someone else's responsibility. They are our responsibility. You know, we applaud people that step forward and think of children in our community who are in care through no fault of their own as their responsibility, whether it's fostering, adopting, or volunteering, that as scary and daunting as this process may be, if we step back and think about what a child has experienced and the fear that they experience every day of their lives, it might take that edge off the fear as adults of jumping into an unknown system. And yes, that there is support every step of the way. Love it. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. I do as well. Thank you. Did I miss anything? Do you think? No, no, no. It was great. Yeah. Great. So we talked about this a little bit and, and in this clip, Rita talks about in foster care, these kids have other families and and you described how you've always had an open line of communication with your daughter about, you know, your family story. How, 
how did you guys get to that point? I imagine the, the the words are difficult to sort of assemble and and to talk about that. Was that something that you learned throughout the process of? Yeah, I mean, it, it's and this is something I learned from our adoption mentor, but because it's always been part of her story from day one. I mean, like, you know, we, we had when she was like six months old, someone gave us a, like a little photo album. And so we put in pictures of, of her and then, you know, my parents, uh, my dad passed away years ago. So I put a picture of him in there, mm-hmm. both of my wife's parents, uh, my wife's grandparents, cousins, and, and my brother and sister and their children. And then we put in her birth mother. Oh, wow. And just, and it, you know, and, and she wasn't old enough to even know what anything was, you know, she was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very similar, I would say to, you know, like having any sort of family member, you know, mm-hmm. especially when you're a, a kid, it's just part of the narrative that, you know, when you're a kid, you don't, you don't question it because you're like, yep, this is, who, you know, this is my aunt, this is my uncle, this is my dad, this is my birth mother, blah, 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 blah. You know, questions haven't come up yet because it's been such a we never had to have the, Hey, listen, let me, by the way, this is how you, we became a family. It's, it's mm-hmm. always been that story since she was able to comprehend stories. And we show pictures of her at the agency. We have pictures from there. We have pictures from part of the, the thing when you uh, adopt is you, there's paperwork that has to go through before you're allowed to like leave the state or go back to your home state. So you can travel anywhere in the country, except for your home state, for whatever reason, the, the adoption laws were written in like the early 1900s in most states. And they're super weird. And I'm sure that there's a reason for them. And, you know, when you're in the process of adopting, you're like, I'm going to advocate to change all these laws and I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And then you get a baby and you're like, I'll do that later. So I don't (laughs) think anyone's even bothered. Yeah. To, you know, I mean, I don't know, whatever. So we, we stayed in the state where she was adopted and for a couple of days while the paperwork was going through. And so we stayed in Airbnb. So there's pictures from there that we've shown her and, and videos of when she was a baby. And it's just been part of her story. And, and, and it's, it's, I think there's a little bit, it's a little bit easier because, because she doesn't look like us. Mm-hmm. we've addressed that very early on you know it's mm-hmm. been like hey your skin is beautiful and it's different and my skin's beautiful and it's a different color and it's not beautiful mm-hmm. um so it was very easy to co- for her to comprehend like okay this makes sense like everybody else yeah. you know all, all the people who weren't adopted have the same color skin as their parents and in a lot of cases in a lot of cases they don't actually and we have friends that yeah they, they don't have the same color skin as their their parents but it was it was a little bit easier to explain it to her but again you know like because there uh i think because there are so many people around who don't fit the 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 mold of typical family you know, they're, they're, that everybody's got a unique story that when we sit her down and we're like, okay, hey, do you have questions about the adoption process or your birth mother or anything? She's like, no, I just want to go play the switch and, and go run around, and, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever, like, uh, don't bother me. Yeah. Um, so that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, this has been a, a, a tremendous conversation. Thank you so much for, for coming oh, on. I just, uh, I, I'm curious, what do you think is the most important thing for someone or a family just starting out in, in the adoption process to, to know or to keep in the back of their mind? 
you know, I think finding support is a huge, huge part of it mm-hmm. because it is the best worst thing you'll ever do. It is, it is hard. It is super, yeah. super hard because there's so much uncertainty and you move. I mean, we had been moving at such a glacial pace before we got our first call that <laughs> such a random story. We Mich- Michelle won a fan video fan contest for judge Judy. She was oh a big judge Judy fan. And we got, we were flown out to LA to meet judge Judy, go to a taping what? And, and hang out. Yeah. Yeah. It was the same. <laughs> and while we're at the hotel, we got our call saying, Hey, this birth mother chose you. You need to fly back <laughs> when week? you fly back. Yeah. Yeah. It was insane. It was insane. And so we're like, Oh my God. Oh my God. What do, what do we do? What do we do? And so downloaded like what to expect when you're expecting and just read that on the way home on the plane. And we're like, Oh crap, we got to learn everything. Like we, we'd been preparing, but we were like, Oh, right. Uh, we got to do all this stuff. We'll buy a do? bunch what of diapers. Do? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and it just, you just go from like zero to 60 in, in seconds. And then, you know, then we had the disappointment. And so that was like, it was a low and then, then another high. And then, and then Ramona came into our life and it was great. And then it just goes nonstop from there. So I, it, because you're on such an, an emotional roller coaster ride, you, you have to have a great support system, be prepared for a lot of heartache, but know that it always ends well. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That's a great message. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Well, thank you again for, for offering all, all your story. I, I hope that for people listening, that this helps you, uh, navigate a, a stressful process and yeah just know that there's uh happiness at the end yes 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 and yeah. oh and don't, don't watch tv because tv has never gotten it right um, <laughs> that was it was like the the week that not the week the months leading up to it everybody on tv they would just introduce a baby like i remember, there was an episode of law or svu we were watching it and and all of a sudden you detect you know now she's captain benson i don't know whatever she was uh <laughs> like watching some trial the judge is like uh benson you've been not watching this trial for a while why don't you take the baby and that's how olivia gets a baby and you're like Motherfucker, what what yeah, the he- yeah. And, and, <laughs> and just shit like that like like this is us I, I i appreciate what they're doing but like some kid was you know the whole premise is that a kid was dropped off and they're like you seem like good parents hey you lost a baby here have a third like right. it's not they're not Pokemon cards that you can just swap in and out. Yeah. Like they're Although they're three babies. men and a baby is exactly how. It That's was. exactly how it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had Steve Gutenberg living in our house for a while. <laughs> and that was weird. That was weird. So, yeah, uh, I, I would just say I, I have not watched. I know the show on Apple TV. Trying. Um, trying. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I wrote a, I wrote and produced a pilot all about the adoption process. And, mm. and then. Uh, I was just like, okay, well, it was, it was an experience. And then that came out and it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, when you do something creative and you're like, oh, this is a fun thing. And it just kind of gets a little bit of traction, but not, not big and whatever. And then you see like a bigger, you know, thing you're like, God damn it. Yeah. What the hell? So I haven't had your finger on the pulse of something there. Yeah. Yes. And I just didn't have the right connections or I didn't, I didn't hit the right spots or whatever, but Mm. um, I don't know how on point it is or not but that that from what i hear is the closest to the real deal. yeah 
Yeah, it's pretty good, but I, I yeah, I don't yeah. know if it's I don't know accurate or not. Yeah, yeah. So well, anyway, cool. Uh, do you want to mention any social media or anything like that? I am on uh, the Instagram, on, yeah. uh, and I think I'm on TikTok. Overall content, Luke, I think is cool. my my handle. Yeah, and I would also, uh, you know. Uh, adoptions from the heart afth.org is a great organization mm-hmm. um, for support for information for all that stuff so i would definitely check them out awesome cool for such a daunting topic i mean there's so many moments in those interviews that i was just like oh it's such a beautiful such a beautiful thing it warms your heart so yeah thank you so much to rita and thank you to luke for sharing their stories and and giving us some more information that can hopefully help people who are looking into adoption. Before I get to the weird thing that was causing me anxiety this week, I want to remind you of the buy me a coffee link in the description, just a a way to make a donation to the show and and then help support um, me making these episodes. If you're interested in getting home delivery of groceries, you can sign up for Instacart through through the link in the description. I always fumble the Instacart one. By signing up that way, you're telling Instacart that this show sent you, and, and that also helps support the show. I'm getting like Larry King shoulders as I do this, just like a vulture. <laughs> There's also the My Software Tutor. If you're interested in learning more about Excel or some other programs, they're offering the promo code POD20 for 20% off. And the Carter Studio has the promo code ANXIETYPOD for 10% off your order. So yeah, the, the weird thing causing me anxiety this week was... The NFL started uh, last weekend. I placed a few bets, like 20 bucks. Lost all of them. Terrible betting. <laughs> just terrible job. <laughs> but just like the doubt and the shame and, you know, the mistreatment I had going on of myself in my own head as that was going on. Just like, oh, God, why did I do this? Why did I do this? This was only 20 bucks. <laughs> uh, just never miss a chance to beat myself up. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you on Thursday.